0: Psalm 61 is short. That's good for a business meeting night. Psalm 61 to 68, all of those psalms. Uh, they're a collection of songs with very similar themes, uh, although they're not much different from ones we've already studied. The human author is David. We're going to find that in the superscript. All of these express confident faith in God, especially in times and places where his salvation and deliverance are desperately needed. If we look at the superscript, that little uh, usually in italics part right before the psalm starts there it says to the chief musician or we could say modern uh, modern way of saying that is to the worship leader this was a song the lyrics meant to be sung all together like we did here tonight and we'll do later on and then it says, upon negina. we've seen upon Neganoth before, that means stringed instruments, Negana is just one, so it'd be like if just Lewis was up here playing his guitar and that was only accompaniment, and then it says of, of David, he was a human author that God inspired uh, to write every word here to us. So let's read it together, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. And thou wilt prolong the king's life in his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. We got another fear, facts, faith song here. In the first two verses, David announces... Uh, his fear. First of all, his outward situation. The very first thing he does is is begin a prayer to God. Like many Psalms, this is a prayer. That should always be our first response if we find ourselves in in a place of fear. Too often, it's usually our last resort. But David says, hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer in verse 1. So he's crying out to God. That God would hear his prayer. Actually do more than that, that he would attend. Uh, Kashab. That's a Hebrew word for attend. It means to to bend down and listen like you might do when you're really trying trying to pay attention. That's what David's asking God to do. God, pay pay close attention to my words as I announce the neediness of my outward situation to you. What's his outward situation? Verse 2, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. His outward situation is this. It's one of isolation. And possibly, we don't have a historical context. A lot of times in that superscript it'll say this was written when David was, you know, being chased by Saul or this was... We can maybe guess that this is in response to Absalom, his son's coup attempt, uh, just because that was one of the times when David was fleeing for his life and when he was really longing to be close to the tabernacle, close to the presence of God again. He says, from the end of the earth will I cry to you, God. And, and so he, he's got this feeling of, of isolation. He's describing his outward condition as, as feeling like he's at the end of the earth. And we've already seen numerous Psalms that referenced or uh, were, were based on that event in David's life. And I encourage you, once again, as we did back then, try to enter into what David might be feeling in all of that. He's fleeing Jerusalem, um, he's fleeing his palace. He's fleeing the tabernacle. Everything he held dear, um, when his son Absalom led this coup attempt uh, on his his kingdom, and um, definitely a feeling of isolation. I mean, he's homeless. He's homeless. Not even living in the palace anymore, and like that, he's homeless. He's jobless. He's not a king anymore. Uh, he, he's running for his life. He, he's left much of his family. Some some came with him. But, I mean, now their life is at risk too. He's left his church for all practical purposes. I mean, he didn't have the Holy Spirit like you and I do. Uh, the Holy Spirit came at, at Pentecost. And, and that was one of the things when Jesus ascended, resurrected and ascended. He sent the Holy Spirit. They didn't, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, he came for a moment, left. Came on people, left. So, I mean, being really close to the to church, to the tabernacle is so important for David. He's, he's left that. His proximity to the temple. Very important to him. And so this led to a sense of a fear too. Not just an outward condition of isolation, but an inward condition. It's one of exhaustion. That's what it says there. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. When my heart's overwhelmed. Now the best thing to do when you feel isolated, when you feel exhausted, is to continue to cry out to God. And that's what David does here. He's feeling overwhelmed. That's his inward condition. The Hebrew word for that is ataf. It means to feel feeble. To feel like you're going to faint. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Are you just sapped of strength? Hey, I, can't, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to go on. I, I don't know how I'm going to get out of bed. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the work today or school. Or uh, I don't know how I'm going to go to church. I want to go to church. I don't know how I'm going to go to church. Because emotionally I'm just not there. I'm emotionally exhausted. When you're emotionally exhausted, what also usually happens Well, I'm spiritually exhausted. I'm also physically exhausted. This is David's experience. Emotional exhaustion does what emotional trauma does. It affects you spiritually. It affects you psychologically. It affects you physically. And it's in the last part though. Last part of verse 2 that we we begin to see this ascent out of the depths of despair, out of fear, and, and to the heights of glory that we see at the end of this song. We begin to see that already here in verse 2 as David begins to focus uh, on the facts. His his prayer is not just one of announcing, God, I feel miserable. I, I feel isolated. I feel exhausted. But it's also one of him asking, what does he ask God to do there? Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. So he's got this forward aspiration. God, extract me out of this place. Get me up out of here. He says, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. He doesn't say, lead me to a rock that I can get to in my own strength. David's situation is too dire for for that. There's no hope of him extracting himself out of this situation. Uh, No hope for self-preservation. David needs God to deliver him. And he needs God to extract him out of what he's experiencing and to a place of safety. And, And that's his prayer. Now, does David have any confidence that God can And that God will attend to this prayer. And this is where the facts come in. Always, that's the essential part. You want to get out of fear. You want to get out of the depths of despair. You want to get to faith where you're glorifying God and you're experiencing good from his hand. You got to focus on the facts. David's turning there already here at the end of of, of verse 2. Especially the facts about who God is. And David really highlights in this one what God has done in the past. That's what David does. He ascertains the facts here. Verses three to five, after announcing his fear, he ascertains the fact. I want you to notice the verb tenses here. They're mostly past tense verbs. He's focusing on who God is and what God has been for him in the past. First of all, God's protection. That's fact number one in verse three. You have been a shelter for me, God. You have been a strong tower for, from the enemy. In the past, in David's life, God has been a shelter for him. He's been a refuge. He's been a strong tower where David was completely safe from any threat. I want you to interact tonight. Can you think of examples in David's past life? Probably if this was written about him fleeing from Absalom, that happened near the end of his life. In the beginning of David's life. Let's go all the way back to the main beginning where we're introduced to him in Scripture. Where did God protect him? Or who did God protect him from? Bears Bears and lions. Well, that is actually the beginning. Because that's what he said to... What's the one he's also famous for? Goliath. Yeah, big country. And, and why, did he have, why did he have courage? And he told Saul, don't need that armor. He's like, you're a kid. You can't fight him. Why? Because of, I fought a bear and a lion. God protected me from that. God protected me from Goliath. What else? Saul, over and over. I mean, that's what half of these psalms have about. <laughs> when Saul's trying to kill him routinely. Saul's henchmen trying to kill him. So now... This is a whole new one, though. Never had my son turn against me. Hmm. Never had my family turn against me. But God, you have been my protection. So essential to focus on who God is, and he has been for you before. And and the whole point here is not to be wowed by God's doing this for David. I mean, that's where it starts. But the the purpose of it, the point is, is for you and, and for me to learn from how God was for David and how God protected David. And so that we can apply it in, in our own lives. Because so many times when we, it's hard for us to remember how he's done this for us before. And then we start thinking about what he did here in God's word. And then, oh yeah, well things start coming back in our lives. How oh, he has protected us in times past. And, and all these things, these facts, they, they're fuel for our faith specifically given to us in scripture to help us spur, spur us to faith by recognizing the facts that that God's done the very same thing in your life. And he's done the very same thing in my life. Then there's the fact of God's presence. Verse four, he says, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert, the shelter again, the protective uh, shelter of thy wings. Selah, think on this. That's what Selah means. Pause here and meditate on what God is just saying. Uh, Because fact number one is true. Now David's new things are starting to come up about who God is and what God has been for him. he realized that, you know what, even though I feel isolated, even though I definitely feel exhausted, even though that's my outward situation, my inward condition, uh, I feel like I'm at the end of the earth and at the end of my rope. uh, The very fact that he's communing and communicating with God in prayer, what does that prove? That God is present God's present right there at the end of the earth. It's proof positive that God's always present. That God's always near. David says, I will abide. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. So yes, this is definitely a reference to his proximity to the temple. I mean, the palace was right next to the temple. So I mean, you'll live really close to church. That was important for, for David to be, especially when you didn't have the Holy Spirit live in, inside of you. But he was right there. He could go there at, at any time. Uh, where David sensed God's presence. He, he doesn't have that anymore. Uh, but the word tabernacle is, is a lot more expansive. I mean, it simply just means tent or dwelling place. Well, can I ask you something? Where's God's dwelling place? Is it in the tabernacle? Well, it is. Yeah, it's everywhere. Is it in the temple? Yeah, it is. Is it, is it here? I love this place. It's a beautiful church. Uh, I hope we can expand it and all fit in, and I hope it stays a lot the same because I love it. It's beautiful. <laughs> Is God's dwelling place here? Yes, but is he restricted here? No, he's not restricted here. He's in the ends of the earth, David. He's wherever you may find yourself. Universe, the universe is not big enough to contain him. He created it. So even if our outward situation, even if our inward condition has us feeling like I'm at the end of the earth, I'm at the end of my rope, that's okay because God's right there with you. He's right there wherever you are. Do you understand his love his presence is not dependent on your current location. Mm-hmm. God's provision. There's a th- third fact. Verse 5. David mentions that, that God has heard David, David's vows. Well, often we'll do this when we're in a tight spot and we're, we're wanting God to come through and deliver us. We'll make out a promise of something we're going to do. That's what David did. He says, God, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to exalt you when you come through for me, when you deliver me. And it says here in this verse, in verse 5, that God had heard David's vows and God has given him, you've given me the heritage or the inheritance of those that fear thy name. That's what heritage means, the inheritance. What's the inheritance? What does God provide for those who fear his name? If you went to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, and in chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, Then they that feared the Lord... Spake often one to another. And the Lord listened and he heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him. For them that feared the Lord. And that thought upon his name. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Chapter 4 verse 2. But unto you that fear my name. Listen to this promise. Unto you that fear my name. Shall the son of righteousness rise with healing in his wings. So what is promised for those who fear God's name? Jesus. Eternity. An eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. The son of righteousness. Uh, rising. And he did that. And, and returning. And healing us. Healing us from every spiritual and physical ailment we have. That is a result of sin being in this world. That day's coming. Amen. He's coming back. And, and all this nonsense we got to put up with. All this hate that we got to live around. All this sin that I have to be tempted by. It will be done. It'll be done. The scleroderma, the Crohn's disease, your arthritis, your cancer, done. It's all gone. Uh, Hark the Herald Angel sing. I think that's a line from there. Risen with healing in his wings, pulled from Malachi four. This is the promise. This is what God has provided. Now David, uh, David had faith in the gospel, in the saving Messiah. It was yet to come for David. It had been promised. It'd been promised since Genesis three very first gospel. We'll look at that on Sunday. It's part of what we're studying uh, in Mark. But, but he, he looked for the Messiah that was pointed to in so many Old Testament things, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and, and everything that happened in the Old Testament, going through the Red Sea, going through the Jordan River, and in the promised land. He looked for this Messiah. And for David, it was a thing of the past, the promise, and it was a thing to be fulfilled in, in the future. But it was a fact. It was a fact he had faith in, God's provision. But for you and I, we're on, we're on this side of Calvary's cross and so it's a past promise and it's a past provision with a future fulfillment for us too he's going to return and we're having to have the same focus on that fact that he is returning and that he has saved us and that is the fact that's supposed to spur us to faith we live in this already not yet kind of weird dynamic it's already happened we've already been saved but not yet completely, completely fully like when Jesus returns. We don't have to deal with sin and, and sickness and, and all the evils of this world yet. So salvation's been provided by God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. But, but by faith, we look to the fact that the son of righteousness, he will return. He will. Risen with healing in his wings. And when he does, that'll be forever. Now David's way out of that pit. <laughs> He's at faith. He's ascended to faith in verses 6 and 8. Now David's present experience, it's out of fear because of the facts. It's to faith. The verb tense has changed. Not past anymore. They're all future ones here in verses 6 to 8. But it's the same thing. God's protection, God's presence, God's provision. Look at verse 6. Thou wilt prolong the king's life in his years as many generations. There's God's protection again. You will prolong the king's life. You will give the the king years as many generations. Well, can David be describing himself there? I mean, can we go to Israel right now and meet David? No, I mean, he died like human beings do. So he's not describing his earthly uh, immortality. But there is a couple of applications here. I mean, yes, he will have eternal life. We'll see David in that resurrected state one day in in heaven. Um, But David's also banking on the covenant that, that God made with him that he would always, he would always have a descendant on the throne. That was God's promise to David. There will always be one. And that was completely and fully uh, fulfilled in David's descendant, Jesus Christ. Uh, David only lived for a generation, not generations. But in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the king of kings, David's descendant, the promise of verse 6, is, it is fulfilled. In that great prophetic chapter about Jesus Christ from Isaiah. You know, Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. At, toward the end, verse 10, it says, God shall prolong his days. Talking about Jesus. Just like here in verse 6. "I will prolong the king's life. Uh, his years as many generations. That word means ages or lifetimes. That's Jesus. Infinite. Eternal. Because he is resurrected. And all those who have faith in him. Same thing. Eternal, infinite life promised to us by God's grace through, through faith in Jesus. That's the only way. And that's the protection. That's the protection that God offers to those who are his by faith. It's why Jesus, this is why Jesus tells us not to fear those who have a sword. We can like really live without fear. They can take our life, right? Not my eternal life. You can take my eternal life. <laughs> we have eternal life in Christ. You cannot threaten the Christian with death. No. Christ had victory over the grave. He took the sting out of death. Romans 8, 35 to 39. What will separate us from the love of Christ? Persecution? No. Famine? No. Tough times? No. Sword? Death? Nothing will separate us from the love of God that's ours in Jesus Christ. Then there's this presence again, right here in verse 7. He shall abide before God forever. It's true of David. That's where David is right now, the presence of God. It's true of David's descendant, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's who this is ultimately referring to. David doesn't say, I will abide before you forever. Jesus, my descendant, he will abide before you forever. true of you, Christian, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, once you're saved, you're sealed. You're His. You're forever His. You're not going to be left alone or forsaken. It's a promise in Deuteronomy, repeated in Hebrews. It's not even possible. Now, now, you you can go from proximity of His presence, but where is He? Right where you left Him. He ain't going anywhere. He's always near. He wants you to abide with Him. Abide is such a strong, strong word. It doesn't just mean he'll be near you. I mean, he wants to, he's going to abide with you, living with him. That's what David's believing in now. It's this constant, continual condition, 24-7. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Nowhere. Where can I flee from your presence? If I went up into heaven, highest, highest heavens in Jupiter, Saturn, up into space, you're there. I went to the lowest parts of the earth. I've been in some deep caves. Jesus, is there. God's there. He's always present. And will it ever stop? What does He say? There, He shall abide before God. What? Forever. Will it ever stop? forever. And then once again, that second part of verse 7 is God's provision. We've already seen those three facts David focused on. These are what he's putting his faith in. Same thing. It's God's provision. At the end of verse 7, we find two words that are routinely coupled together in the Psalms throughout Scripture as well. Mercy and truth. And at the close of this faith section here, fueled by God's past provision, David looks in faith to the reality of God's Provision for him in Jesus. Mercy and truth. That's who he's talking about. Mercy and truth. He's talking about Jesus Christ. God's grace to us. And salvation by Jesus Christ. Mercy and truth. Psalm. I've shared this psalm with you before. Psalm 85.10. One of my favorite ones. A precious prophetic psalm about the coming Messiah. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. One I like to think about at at Christmas. As Jesus comes down. But that's who Jesus was. God's mercy. That's chesed. That word we've seen so many times. His steadfast covenant love that he promised us. What Jesus Christ gave us. His mercy and his truth. Met together. How could a holy God. He demands holiness. That we don't sin. How could he forgive wicked people like you and me. In Jesus Christ. Mercy and truth. Met together. When he bore the penalty. Do our sins on that cross. That's what God's provided. That's what David's putting his faith in here. And that's a steadfast love you can count on. It won't ever stop. It's not like love like sometimes we have on this earth where it's fickle. And if you don't do me right, well, then I stop loving you. This is the eternal love of God to all those who trust Jesus Christ as Savior. So do you feel isolated tonight? Do you feel exhausted? Got a bunch of teachers in here. So I should hear some amens. (laughs) I encourage you to apply the truth that God gave us through David here in Psalm 61, if you do, for how to ascend out of fear, how to ascend out of that isolation, out of that exhaustion, and and to what? Verse 8, exaltation, exaltation to God. David says at the end, so will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Eight verses, what a change. Verse 1 and 2, God get me out of here. Verse 8, I'm going to sing praise to your name forever forever.